On this week's episode of DLN Extend, we talk about ways to give back to the community that go beyond just code. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 28 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN discourse forums, telegram groups, discourse server, and more. We also take topics from the other shows around the network and give our takes. With me are the amazingly awesome co-hosts, Wendy and Nate. So what have you been up to, Wendy? Well, this week, after I got everything, you know, completely tore apart around the house and put back together, tech-wise, there hasn't been too much going on. There's a whole lot of prepping for the upcoming school year. Oh my goodness, that is coming up way faster than I thought it would. I hate the fact that three months of winter drag on forever and the three months of summer are over in the blink of an eye. So my time the last week has been full of we are getting geared up for school school again. You know, I have to agree with you, Wendy. It's like the, well, I live in Michigan. And so it seems like winter lasts, oh, I don't know, nine months. No, that's an exaggeration. Four months of winter, like when it's just cold, you can't really go outside. And I mean, you have to, the whole bundling up and it's wet. Like, like it seems like November, sometimes October, it's just like cold, wet rain, you know, just, yeah. it's, just it's just not fun. You know, when, whenever August rolls around, it's like, oh no, I know it's on the horizon. Four yes. or five months of misery. It's, you know, things like, you know, having a that grilling outside goes away, you know, the smoker outside, you, you kind of, well, actually, no, I still do that because. I'm nuts. There's certain fun outdoory things that just are over. And in August, you can smell it in the air of schools on its way. And so is all the complexities of inclement weather. I get it. And I'm, I'm in the same boat as you getting ready for the school season. So I, I understand. Okay. All back to school. This will be my easiest back to school, though, because my oldest daughter starts high school next year. Ooh. So I need to enjoy the fact that this is our last year before high school begins. So, Nate, what have you been up to? Well, I've been playing around in the terminal. and I'm not really sure what wandered me back into the terminal, but I, I found these... Well, I didn't really find it. I knew about it, but I hadn't really played with it yet. But turning my the terminal into a kind of a a window manager like desktop using Tmux, and then some other terminal applications along with it, and it's been loads of fun actually playing. I, I don't know, have you ever used Tmux before? I'm sure Matt has. The uh, what's fun about Tmux is you can create like a, uh, a almost like a desktop environment, and you can attach and detach from it. Very so instead of like when you log out of like an SSH into another machine, you know whatever you had there is gone. You know is is, is canceled out. But with Tmux, you can detach and you can log out log in from a different location or whatever and that and those processes or whatever you have open is still going on. So my plan was to see how much could I do as part of another kind of a, this thing I've been noodling around is how much can I offload from my laptop and push onto my server, you know, things like chat clients and whatnot. So seeing if I could do like uh, terminal-based chat clients and mostly, unless it's IRC, it's kind of been a failure. I haven't tried Matrix yet. I'm sure there's a Matrix CLI client out there, but uh, but it's been kind of fun to, to play around with it. Just just some of like the like calendaring, uh, clock, bash top, that's been fun. So some other things like that. I, I've, I've been playing a little bit with uh, Telegram in the terminal. Not an easy experience, but I'm, I'm willing to bet I can probably take tiling or the, wind, the painting 
of of a, of the of Tmux, be able to push some things into different windows, different panes, I should say, and then be able to have like a window just dedicated for Telegram. However, I, so I realize that how do you access the different threads in Telegram from that? So that that's where I still haven't. You know, I'm not sure this is the highest and best use of my time because there's lots of other things I could actually do that's <laughs> valuable. But there are ways to actually go through the different threads. There's there's me- there's menu options. They don't present themselves in a nice way. But I so I'm thinking I could probably take the unnice way that Telegram CLI presents itself and break it down into different panes by turning on like different uh, functions there. And then, then you have to like use a command to go into that other chat with somebody or, or group or whatnot. And gotcha. it's, just, it's kind of, it's really clunky to use and, and not at all intuitive, but it has potential. I think it, I mean, it's, it's just basically exposing the API underneath of Telegram so you can you know, use it for whatever you want. So I'm, there's got to be a way to make it work nicely. I just am not there yet. Nate, why does that not surprise me that this would be something you would do? I mean, <laughs> I have no idea. This, well, this is like me, you know, using weird distros. I get flack for I, I get flack for using weird distros. You're trying to use a multi pane system like Telegram from the terminal. Yeah. So okay. that, that's okay. So here's the idea. This is like there's like a long term vision here. I know this sound this is going to be a little bit crazy, but I have an old IBM fifty one fifty, which I realize is actually I'm living a bit of a retro life. That's a whole other discussion right there. But I, I, anyway, what I want to do is I want to set up this old IBM computer. You know, it's a big, the giant five and a quarter floppy drives, like the double height, doubled in size floppy drives. And I want to set it up in my living room, like circa 1980s style, and be able to basically using Telnet log into my server and be able to use the IBM 5150 in an 80s way, but doing modern things. So Matt, what have you been up to? Not a whole lot, unfortunately. Work, work, more work. Um, well, that sounds like a lot to me. Well, okay. What I've been up to <laughs> doing during that is just dealing with people. And honestly, I'm going to be blunt. I think about my what's hand when it comes to dealing with people. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Matt, I've always looked at you as kind of a, of a, a real big people person, you know, a, a teddy bear, a care bear, some kind of guy that, you know, you know, right. is going to give somebody else a big bear hug. Right. <laughs> now, this just, the, the day job has been a, a long, long grind. It is what it is. It's just, I wish I would have more time for me things. Um, obviously, techie stuff, techie stuff yeah. obviously, video games, you know, my, my way to, yes. unwi- my way to unwind. Like, it's great that I can still, you know, sit here and record with you guys, obviously, but having a little more, you know, a little more free time would be nice, but you know, adulting I, and all that fun stuff is not always the most fun thing to do. I know recording with us is the highlight of your week. It is one of them, believe it or not, even though Nate's sarcasm is. No, no, I, I know it is the highlight of the week. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you keep thinking that kind of like the fantasy that open is the best distro ever also true oh <laughs> in my fantasy world of course it is exactly no just in the fantasy world <laughs> <laughs> Shots um, i would never no i have been working on some other stuff but um that i didn't really get a chance this week to really touch that much unfortunately so it's just been a lot of real life and I did buy, I did do one thing. I bought the PinePhone Convergence Edition. That is the one oh, thing nice. I did. Ooh. One, so when is it supposed to arrive? That particular edition is supposed to sh- start shipping at the end of August. So the 25th, I believe. The hardest part is the wait. I'm actually really interested in trying out uh, LunaOS, which is the open WebOS continuation or WebOS continuation. So people want to talk about oh. Linux smartphones and all, you know, post-market OS and all the other stuff. Those are great, but I'm more interested in more of, ironically, esoteric distros. <laughs> <laughs> 
know this. I know this about you. And it's part of your charm. So I'm curious to see how that is because that is probably one of the most polished versions of a phone OS. So I'm curious to see how that is. And the convergence thing is really interesting. Obviously, I'm going to try Ubi ports eventually on it as well. But that was the only one thing I did. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Speaking of the Pine phone and ways to get that people give back to the community, Pine64 does it in an interesting way by I believe it's $10 every sale goes a project that they're supporting, be it UbiPorts with the initial community edition, or in this particular case, post-market OS with the, the new uh, convergence edition. But there are so many different ways to give back to the community that don't involve coding. You don't have to contribute code as the only way to give back. And I think a lot of people... Yeah. What? I thought the only way to contribute to open source is by coding. No, that is very, very <laughs> wrong. There are tons of different ways to give back. I know personally, one of the ways I've helped was I did a bunch of copywriting for a distro that the native language wasn't English. And it was it was very machine translated, very Babelfish or Google Translate kind of translation. And you got the context of what they were saying, but the flow of what they were saying was not very well interpreted or especially in like marketing and other other ways. So I went through and I took every bit of the text from the website and wrote, rewrote it in English, so it flowed better, like too much clearer about what the target was, what the demo was, and that kind of stuff. Because before it was very vague in what it was targeting. And once I got done, it was like, okay, this is what you're trying to sell it as, then sell it as this. And it doesn't have to be, say, English, you know, you can copyright. And when I use the term copyright, I am fixing writing. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm not talking about like, not the legal, co- stuff. Not, not the legal copyright version of stuff if you want if you want it well you do but some people might not if you want to do copywriting and what copywriting all that kind of stuff that's totally cool too like if you want to do the legal stuff whatever but that was one that's way really i really got to be a passion uh yeah, yeah no kidding no, no kidding um just try reading any legal contract and you'll be like why am i doing this um, <laughs> that was one way i've contributed nate i know you've talked about different ways that you've contributed to like open source and stuff yeah i i try to do the as much as I can, I mean, within within limits. I mean, the reality is I, I'm not the most skilled. I try and rapidly get to a solution. I don't necessarily fully study things unless I really have to. Uh, no, I, I've done quite a bit of, um, you know, when I've problem solved uh, something like on OpenSUSE, I'll let 
like the, the first thing I really did was the smart card system. So I can use smart card authentication because I need it for the Department of Defense websites. And rather than just keep the notes for myself, I decided, well, you know, like, cause I basically, I p- pulled pick, uh, parts and pieces from like some Debian stuff, from some Ubuntu stuff and from Arch and none of, none of them were really totally cohesive or they had missing chunks missing. And since I didn't use any of those distributions regularly, but I was using OpenSUSE, I decided I would put together a wiki. It was actually my very first wiki that I built for, for the OpenSUSE wiki. And you know, say what you will about wikis. I think they're a great tool for storing information. So I maintain, now I maintain uh, several uh, wiki pages for OpenSUSE. Just like I update them at, at every at every release, essentially. I'll, I'll go through. So about every, what? Yeah, it's about every six to nine months, I will say. I, I go in and I double check to make sure all the wikis actually are, are still correct. Update the information necessary. I'll test it. And uh, and VMs for you know whichever distributions I'm I'm seeing it I know it works for so any any of the current ones essentially and um, I actually I enjoy that 15 pages I I, I uh, maintain or I, I do updates to on the OpenSUSE wiki to, to make nice. sure they still work nice. and and then also for MX I'll I'll check on those at every release I'll test that out oh, just a, just a few things there and then I'm I do bug reporting you know, because I use Tumbleweed you know I know this might come as a shock to you but sometimes with rolling releases things break I know. Total shocker! You, you never wait. That. Wait a minute. The Total open shocker. so the open SUSE experience is totally perfect, Nate. Perfect for me. Yeah, there so, we go. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do is, if there are problems, and and you know, I like with like one of the updates. Sometimes with kernel updates, snaps will break to some degree, and so what I'll do is I'll do some testing and I'll do a bug report and I'll say this is these are my solution steps. This is how this is my workaround, and so I'll be reporting those things and then I'll interact with with developers and on fixing the problem. One issue which surprises me because it has not been an issue since the last four years is Bluetooth audio is not working correctly in in Tumbleweed. So I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Bug reports on that. I'm doing like one. I'll get. I've actually been working with someone on getting that fixed as well. It's actually surprisingly, it's not a problem with OpenSUSE directly. It's actually a problem with Pulse Audio, and there's some something broken in Pulse Audio, which I didn't know that. I thought Pulse Audio was fixed there, so it's, it could be like a kernel mismatch or something along those problems. Anyway, and so things like that, I, I do that, and and uh, also you know whenever there's like maybe like missing bits of information, like for example, I know Matt, you'd, you'd be surprised to hear this, but I uh, I installed a game on Lutris with through Lutris, or I'm not really sure how to, how to properly. Say that. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. Where's Nate? And what have you done with him? You know, I like to play too sometimes. Yes, but your your definition of play (laughs) is quite different from what I would consider playing video games. This is true. And then when you find out what it is, then you'll understand. So my oldest, actually my two older kids, and to some degree my number three, they're into Pokemon right now. Pokemon, Pokemon, however you say that. And so it's kind of a thing right now. And my one of them was watching a video on something called Pokemon Insurgents. And it was for PC. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that'll work in Linux. So sure enough, there's an installer. So I installed it. There's no way of having gamepad support with it. So that's a something else I figured out using uh, anti-micro. But there was no uh, there were no screenshots of the game. So I decided that I would take some screenshots of the game and upload them so that when you go on that page in Lutris, now you have the screenshots. Although I think there's something awesome. wrong with the Lutris site because it only shows up on my login, not in general, but it's not a pending submission. So I should probably email them, figure out what's going on. But you know, just to, so it's not a blank, you know, blah looking page. Yeah. But, yeah. Awesome. Just simple things like uploading photos. So and in your case, Nate, you know, trying to get gamepad support to work. If Even if you just upload the photos you, to show that it's working, that is a contribution to a project. Yeah, you know, I, I try and do what I can within within my uh, realm of abilities. You know, I think my, my skill set is probably on the lower tier of, of skills. And if I can do it, I think pretty much anybody can do it. 
is, is really what it boils down to. And So Wendy, what about you though? In the past, I have done some uh, graphic type work contributions and graphics in and of themselves are not my my main forte. I'm really, really mostly on the image side. I've played with graphics just a little bit. So I've, I've helped out there and some of my biggest contributions have been, hey, this is new. We need someone to load it up, see how well it's working. And one of the projects I had a lot of fun working on was, and I don't know how best to say the name of this, the the phone operating system that was slash e slash, or you just call it e like, and I hate calling it slashy slash because it reminds me of ashy slashy for any of you Ash versus Evil Dead fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was, it was so much fun to take this operating system for an Android device where they've completely stripped out Google and we're working on it and we're trying to make it work on a lot of different cameras. So I absolutely love the the dedicated stuff that's like coming out from PinePhone. That stuff's great, but it's great to have operating systems that are trying to do the same thing on hardware that people are already have. So they're not spending money on any more hardware, but they're getting the security updates and they're getting the use for this device that doesn't need to be thrown away, recycled, whatever. It still has life in it. And projects like that are fantastic that way. And so it was fun to throw it on my phone and play with it, see what works, see what doesn't, send in some bug reports, talk to the people that are working on it. And that is another thing that I love about some of these smaller projects. There's bigger ones, right, where it's hard to talk to the developers, but it, it's so much fun to talk one-on-one to the people who are working on it and share your experience with them. And even if it doesn't go well in, you know, the, the nicest way possible. So that that's where I've kind of been involved with the most. I love the idea of helping with copywriting. So I would love to look for a project that needs some of that done. I think that would be a lot of fun. And documentation, man, especially if it's an application you use a lot or a distro that you use a lot, it would be easy to write some of that documentation for things that you use all of the time. The way contributions are done now can be so wide and varied. You, you don't have just like documentation ways of doing things. Yeah. There, are, there are, like documentation is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't do documentation. <laughs> I want to make that clear. If you're a content creator, like, like in our case here, like we're creating content. Like if you want to contribute, talk about it, you know, yeah. share your experiences with something good, bad, and different. Now you'll probably get a developer or somebody says, well, why didn't you file a bug report when you complained about something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but there's been there's several that. shows this week talking about how the bug report process can be very frustrating. Yes. They're not getting bugs for that very reason of bugs being very difficult to file. That boils down to the different systems that are involved, um, you know, some use Bugzilla, some use Launchpad, some use take your pick, insert system here. There are so many different ways to contribute beyond just even that though. You had mentioned graphic design, like marketing, like there's there's a ton of different ways you can contribute. One of, one of my favorite icon sets, I think the name's Obsidian. It's got, a, it's a ton of graphics uh, design work to it. It's not the typical flat design, so it might put off a lot of people, but as far for me like it's a great alternative and there have been people contributing to that for a while now so it's always one of the one of the things i test when i can I get it installed on a distro um sometimes it's yeah. problematic one of the everybody thinks um you have to contribute code
code. And I get really kind of annoyed with that mentality. Oh, well, we need we need developers, you know, like to not to repeat something, but developers, developers, developers. It's like, nah, nah, nah. it's <laughs> it's not just developers. You have to get feedback and users and experience and test on different types of hardware and you know, different use cases. Once you make a, if you're doing a program and operating system, people are going to use stuff in ways you didn't even think about. Oh, and, absolutely. And that's where the, those reports and those use case, you know, use case studies and all the other stuff become really, really important. Speaking and, about people using things different, it's it's been a while ago, but there was a conversation in the Telegram group and somebody said, it's really weird now after, I can't remember it was 100 or 200, it was it was a bunch of tabs in Firefox, things start slowing down. You know, it, it's not running very good. And I'm like, holy moly, that that's a lot of tabs. Are you joking or serious? And no, this person literally has that many tabs running in Firefox at once. And that's one of those use cases that, you know, as you're sitting down to write it, yeah, 20, 30 seems like a lot. But for this person, that's how many they have going for their use case. And straight up having other people test for different workflows is extremely important stuff. That is a browser super user right there. I don't know how I would manage 200 tabs. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I have lots of tabs open too, like probably in the neighborhood of like 50 or 60, but 200, I mean, talking like almost four times what I have. And uh, I, I don't know how you'd keep that straight i couldn't i'm I'm a big fan of that's how Group tabs. tabs. There you go. Yeah. I'm a big fan of save it and then go back to it when I need to reopen it. But that's some of that's my ADD. So if I've got that many tabs open, then I'm like, mm, what's that? Oh, what's that? And I'm not getting anything done. <laughs> Those are different ways of working that can go back and help the project see how their stuff is being used. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's the biggest thing where developers have a hard time. This is I don't want to say just developers, people in general have a hard time seeing beyond their own uses of something. So they assume a lot of people are just going to use it the way they originally made it. And that's definitely not the case for a lot of something about most users. Yes, most users will, if it's a basic program, will use it for basic functions. But you're going to find those people who use it in ways you didn't even think of. Those people contributing back feedback, good or bad, in a constructive way, is immensely valuable to helping the developer make a wider ranging overall better product or project, however you want to spin that as far as words. And I think that's a really key importance. But there are also other ways to contribute and that's monetarily. Now, this is always a touchy subject in the community and I don't know really why. Well, because, you know, Linux is free, right? But (laughs) servers aren't free and people's time isn't free. So if, if you are working on a project that you're sharing with everybody, that's not time that you're spending time with your family. It's not time that you could be uh, making money to pay your own bills, that kind of thing. So our time in and of itself isn't free. These people are donating that. They're servers that need to be used in order to get these different projects back and forth to people. So if you don't have time to contribute in any way, even if it's helping to write the wiki or sending in a bug report, monetary is a great way to help them make sure that there is the server space, there is the infrastructure available Sometimes they even need new hardware in order to continue developing these different projects. The money can be used in ways that benefits everybody just as much as helping with the documentation. 
Because, like, like you said, Wendy, like we only have so much time is the only thing that and the only currency we can't get back. Yeah. So, you know, there's always that stupid old adage that Linux is only free if you value don't value your time. I think that is a wrong adage, but in this, in this particular case, people need to understand that their people are giving their time that they could be spending on other things to you in, in yep. some way, shape, or form, be it documentation or you know programming or whatever. However they decide to give it they are giving of themselves to a wider community not everybody has to contribute like a, a substantial amount to the open source to make it you to make it useful and sustainable if you just like think about it from a, on a more of a, a macro scale if everybody contributed let's just say one thing per year whatever that might be over how many millions of users there are obviously there's different degrees of contributions you can make but if you're using this for you know without dishing out any cash and you know obviously paying paying for something or contributing to a project that's a way of contributing but but if you don't have that ability you know, if you don't have you know currency or whatever you know someone let's say someone uh, a kid or someone who's younger you know a, a teenager or whatever i'm not saying you got to go fair and OS and, and and do some like major design work when you're 13 years old i'm not saying you have to do that but let's just say that you do one little thing you learn something and you share that in some way or any one little thing. And if everybody makes it one positive contribution per year, just one. I mean, how many millions of, of contributions would there be to the open source? You know, even even sending somebody a thank you. Like I, I make it a point to send certain people I know that put a lot of hard work and I know get a lot of flack from the community, from some aspects of the community. So I make it a point to send them thank yous periodically. I don't expect a response. I just I just send out a thank you that says, you know, hey, I really appreciate this project. Thank you for what you're doing. Just know that I'm grateful because that that can go a long way. That that is in and of itself a contribution as well. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and sometimes those thank yous are what developers need to keep going. If if you're working on a project and the only feedback you're getting is totally negative, then you want to just drop the project. And it's this typically the minority who's being very vocal in the negative side, as we've talked about before. And there's all of these other people that are not only using the project but it's important to their workflow and getting stuff done. So thanks for bringing that up because thank yous are extremely important in helping some of these projects continue. They're a very valuable currency. Uh, they are a very valuable currency because gratitude goes a long way in helping maintain a positive outlook for those people on those projects, especially if a lot of the, the, the feedback that can be had from a vocal crowd, majority or minority, is negative like and i don't mean constructively constructive negative like we've talked about in the past like i'm talking like straight out negative like they're <laughs> you not know helpful. not helpful at all you're and providing nothing for the betterment of this project yes the words that are coming out of your mouth can go a long way to help build a level of gratitude and understanding that okay these guys use the stuff that i do for x y or z purpose and like there is a reason and a, a reason they continue developing it or working on it and that that really is a big big part that goes underutilized like my take like from the the financial point of view is there are some projects oh i'm gonna be blunt there are projects i would like to directly support and not the the overall foundation because they you can try to direct where the money goes but good luck that that's kind of where i stand on that like i'd love to send money to the kid in life directly oh yeah you can't, you have to send it to the KDE Foundation or Plasma, whatever foundation it is. And yes, I get the foundation to organize a bunch of stuff, but that that's not who I'm looking to support overall. I'm looking to support a particular project for a particular reason. So like I, I support 
projects like OBS, um, you know, projects that I use, I will totally support. Um, I think it is very important that people be compensated in some way, shape or form, be it with thank yous or time or contributions, however, you know, monetarily, however you want to contribute back to those people contributing their time. Because at the end of the day, without any of it, none of this is possible at all. You know, Absolutely. For, that, that really is a, a thing that goes unnoticed a lot. And, you know, we, we tend to think that it's just people magically contribute. No, people will have their own interest. Yes, not going to lie. But at the same note, there's going to be people who can't contribute just in the code aspect of things. So we have to be open to other ways of contribution. And I think when, you know, like we mentioned copywriting as an example, monetarily, there, there's just so many different ways you, you can contribute to a project nowadays that you just have to be willing to kind of, sometimes you have to look and I'm going to be honest, a lot of projects don't always make it the easiest to figure out where to contribute. And that's something on the yeah. projects. Um, I think a lot of projects could be better about that. Oh, where do you want to contribute? Oh, they, they just kind of leave it open-ended and it's like, well, what do you need help with? <laughs> you know, <okay. laughs> yes. And, and just don't give the, oh, we need code. And like, okay, this is the quickest way to drive away people on like that, that are willing to help, but not in the way you specifically want. And I think that sometimes projects do that a little too much. And I, th- I find it discouraging. Yeah, they can. Or, you know, new people can get overwhelmed. So there's could be the issue of, you know, they leave it open-ended or throw such a massive list at you that you're like, oh, oh my gosh, where do I even start? So it's okay to take a deep breath and be like, mm, yeah, that's too much. Here's my skill sets. What can I do within this skill set? Yeah, totally. I, I think that is understanding where you can contribute, where you would like to contribute and to see if you can find a, the project that you are looking for, you can contribute to within that skill set. And that takes some, obviously some internal looking at yourself to figure out where that is and et cetera. Or if you yeah. want to contribute to something that you don't have the skill set for, but you would like information on how to develop that skill set. So you can contribute. Well, one of the biggest things is, I believe it's Bodhi uh, Linux. In order to know the EFL library, uh, libraries, or the Enlightenment libraries for like Moksha and stuff, you need to know so much other stuff that people don't even realize it. it it's that kind of stuff where it's like, if you had a page where you just feel like, hey, this is how you can contribute. This is what you need if you want to contribute to like the desktop or whatever. That that kind of information I think is sometimes sorely lacking because people don't think about that stuff when they're, when they're deep into the code because they're just like, okay, I got to fix this, you know, fix this bug, fix that bug, develop this. I think one of the, one of the projects out there that does a really good job though is Ubuntu or Canonical with the Ubuntu project. They do a really good job of, you know, if you look at all the people that they have involved in different flavors and how they encourage you know, and mentor on that project, they do such a good job. And and I, I'd like to see more of that effort there translate to some of these other projects like Martin Wimpress and Alan Pope, they do a really good job of, of fostering positive community involvement. And uh, and so somehow that has to be translated to more projects because MX is, is another really good one too for for contributions because they're a smaller team. They're very agile. You know, if you want to get involved, they'll find ways. They, they're, they're very engaged and very plugged in into getting you to do more with that project as well. We shouldn't also just be helping projects and code and programs, but we should be willing to, to look at helping people. Because they, they can actually drive the momentum of these different projects as well. Exactly. Yeah. So really what it boils down to it, all open source is, is people. It, it is. And organizations are just groups of people. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's what it is. There's nothing non-human about the, oh, well, 
okay, except the servers it runs on. But there's nothing really non-human about the uh, about about these projects. It's it's human to human interaction. It's cooperation between humans that make open source awesome. Yeah. So like if you hear a need of whatever a developer, you like even a user in a community that they need something or something's broken or whatever, and you decide to help them, that's helping the overall community, and that yeah, that's con- that that's a contribution to a community member, to the community that potentially makes, you know, another user that potentially makes another bug reporter that potentially helps them do copywriting, whatever that gives access, people more access to potentially giving back to the community. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. The fact that Bitwarden is not only open source, but has had third-party security testing done is one reason I have chosen to trust them with my passwords. On their blog, they have recently announced another third-party security review has been completed. They have the security assessment available for anyone to review. My favorite part of the report And I quote, no exploitable vulnerabilities were discovered. Thank you, Bitwarden, for offering such a feature-rich password manager and making security checks a priority. You can get started with a free account by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Want to support this open source project and help them continue to conduct third-party security audits? That support starts at only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to learn more. So speaking of community contributions and stuff, Wendy has been contributing to the community by actually trying out various programs and giving her feedback. She's talked about, you know, raw therapy versus dark table. Now she's venturing into something else that some might like, some might not. Well, to each their own. GIMP versus <laughs> Glimpse. Now I'm yeah. quite interested in this. So I got them both pulled up list last week. And other than the fact that Glimpse doesn't have different tools, GIMP has bundled them recently. So if you're on the move tool, you can right click on it and pull up different tools. I can't remember what else is in that one. So some of the different editors are all together. The clone brush, the heel brush, you know, those kind of things they've lumped together. GIMP has that. Glimpse didn't. Otherwise, all the icons look the same color theme, you know, across the board was the same. I haven't seen any differences so far. I know right now they are beta testing, speaking of contributing, where if they're making tweaks and changes on this, and and I know they say that their biggest thing is not necessarily to make huge changes to GIMP. I think a lot of that's still coming from upstream, but they're wanting to make it uh, a little easier to market, which I can see, you know, GIMP not being the easiest name to market, even though that's not their official name. That's the nickname that they've been given. So it's kind of curious to me that that so far it's separated, but we're still really, really new into the separations. And me, it's just a a general user hasn't seen the changes between the two yet. Yeah, I was going to say I follow, I think it's Bobby Moss on Twitter. And he's one of the guys from the Glimpse Project. And it seems like a lot of their work is to currently 
is to maintain kind of like they pull in the current GIMP code and sounds like a lot of backend stuff more than a lot of like user facing stuff that they're doing. Yeah. I know a lot of the user facing stuff that they want to do is basically like a complete rewrite of the GIMP code and a lot of UI changes and stuff. I think it's called Glimpse NX, a different version that they have in mind as a like kind of like a quote unquote final product. So I think it'll be an interesting project to keep an eye on. So yeah, but I'm definitely interested in to see like what, what your take is as a, obviously as a, a GIMP user for uh, photography and stuff and see what your take is on the comparison between the two. I'll, I'll be keeping them both on. And then as I, when I have time, I'd like to work on images in both of them at the same time. So doing the same thing in both and seeing how they work and if there's not only changes in workflow, but the work in the back end, is there any changes in speed or, or that kind of thing that's going on between the two? It's one of those things that it's going to take some time. We'll kind of follow it for a while and, and see where it comes out at. I definitely look forward to it because I, I really liked hearing your take on like raw therapy versus dark table. So this should be interesting as well. And how they both become a major part of my life. Yes. <laughs> It'll also be interesting to see what happens with distributions down the road if they go more down the using GIMP or Glimpse or if it's going to be yeah. kind of what if, if it's not even going to change anything at all. I wonder if the momentum is going to be behind Glimpse. Distro speaking wise, I think a lot of distros have kind of taken out GIMP as a like default application anyway. I think we've gone to like like the minimalist kind of way of installing distros at this point. Fewer pre-installed applications. Unless you're like Ultimate, which you know throws the kitchen sink at everything. Like I said, I'm really interested in to see where this goes. I think Glimpse is an interesting idea, interesting project. I'm more interested in their next version, which they have uh, like, as opposed to like the current version. So like you, I'm can't wait to see what your take is as a major user for photography though. And that'll be really interesting to hear. What have you been up to Nate? Well, lots of things. Uh, something, uh, re- something I did this, this past weekend was I looked at the, uh, the BIOS version on my Dell Latitude E6440. And it's not supported, like the update's not supported by the, the firmware updater. It's supposed to work with Discover and everything else. So it's not part of that that train. So I, I looked at went to the Dell website to see if there's a, an update for the BIOS. Just I was just checking because I'm you know doing some troubleshooting, as it were, with the uh, with the CPU, thinking that maybe there's you know maybe it might be an issue. I don't know. And I saw there's an urgent update from two, that late late 2019 that I missed. Of course, I had to do security and Intel and and whatnot. So I uh, went to to download it. And I said, oh, it's an EXE. That means I probably need Windows to install it. To run well, it, yeah, yeah. So I was I was a little, I was like I had that that uh you know, a little upset about that. But what um but I I just did some other additional searching and I found that actually this computer is new enough that you can boot into a flashing tool like the uh, the BIOS flash tool and uh, I did a little write up of this on my on my website of the process but essentially all I had to do was download it put on a USB drive that's formatted for fat 32 or x fat or something like that plug it in reboot it go to that flash tool find that exe and it will do you know it'll it'll pull out the components, update the BIOS and reboot. And so I never actually needed Windows. And I was so excited uh, that, that I could do that. And I was so excited that I had to write about it and just record it because I, I did not know that. And I kind of wish I would have known that sooner. But, you know, hey, now that I'm at end of life with this computer, I may as well update it, right? Anyway, which is nice to see. It's nice to see that, that manufacturers like Dell are taking into consideration that not everybody runs Windows. So that is awesome. And kudos to Dell for making my life a little bit easier. And they probably should have told me that one about the computer three years ago. That stuff's definitely helpful. I know when I have to do firmware updates on my Nikon cameras, 
it's an either a Windows file or a Mac file. And so I have to take either one of those and extract the firmware update that I need out of it. And it's not that you actually need the EXE for anything at all, because you're supposed to basically unpack that EXE file, then take the firmware, put it on your SD card and let the camera take over that that whole process is extremely frustrating so good on them to be able to get that updated and not need a windows box could you use wine then to extract it if it's just an exe i do it in the terminal so i can't remember what i use at the time i don't do it very often so i have to look up the instructions every time but i extract the exe through a cli tool well that sounds like a front page linux article to me oh it is that's a good idea Hmm, coming soon So Matt, what what do you have going on? As I said earlier, basically just a lot of work. So I have not had time for distros or games really, but I did want to highlight a game. For those that want very high fidelity, very pretty looking games, and you know, for those that say there's no AAA games on Linux and all the other yada yada nonsense that I constantly hear. Well, this game is definitely AAA and this is called Shadow of the Tomb Raider and it's native. And I've heard Ooh. of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard of Tomb Raider before also. Nate, not the 1990s version from like you know idos <laughs> i mean they've made games since yes they have <laughs> multiple games in fact no this game is actually brought to lennox and mac os i'll plug both to our, our lovely platform by uh, Feral Interactive. So, and this is using Vulkan. So a lot of the performance issues that you might've seen in the first game, which was just called Tomb Raider, is not there because it's using Vulkan as opposed to like uh, OpenGL, which the first game uses a lot of. Uh, this is the definitive edition. So this includes all the DLC and everything else that goes with it. But definitely if you like Linux gaming, this is a game that totally worth getting. I went so far, like on my personal purchase, I went to Farrell's store, Farrell Interactive store and bought it directly from them for the Steam code so that they got every bit of money possible. Ironic, That's I'm giving it nice of you. Well, ironic that I'm giving back to the a contributor to the community because Farrell has contributed significantly to Vulcan and other various things. Uh, game mode is another one uh, utility that they have. That is their contribution. Why am I not going to support a company that is supporting a platform that I love? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You used uh, some terminology there that I'm not exactly sure what it means. You said DLC content. What is that? No, uh, d- uh, down- downloadable content. Um, okay. it, it, it basically, the, sh- the short version of what happens in game development is that you have these lull periods where different teams are not doing stuff. Generically, it depends on how you're structured, but generically how it's structured is like if the writing team isn't doing something, you might end up getting single player content that is being developed after the story is finished. So you, what do you do with a writing team at that point? You have them write other stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> so it, it's keeping these other teams busy. And sometimes that content is not available to the finished product that is launched. So hence it comes usually after as DLC or downloadable content. DLC is a touchy subject for some people, other people, not so much. It, yeah. It really depends. I don't mind it so much because um, DLC is a big thing with the, the trucking games that I like. So a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that I got Idaho and Washington. They're now part of the map officially, which I still haven't had time to play yet. Holy crap. 
That, that's really cool stuff that I look forward to. So I know it takes a lot of time to do all of that mapping and stuff. And I don't mind in that cases to pay later for this state or that state as it goes along so they can continue developing and make the best maps possible for that game. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, the way that Feral launched with basically what happened is there was a Windows version for this particular game out for over a year and it had DLC released or downloadable content released over the course of the year. When the definitive edition was announced, that was when the Linux support was announced as long as, as well as the Mac support. So it, when definitive edition came out day one, they also had day one Linux and Mac OS support on top of Windows. Awesome. That to me is like worth the wait. So I, I can say that I have done, well, not downloadable content, but back in uh, when I got Descent 3, this is 99, 2000 time, they had the Descent 3 Mercenary Edition. So you, you'd install that you know, alongside it and it would add all the additional packs and whatnot. So I, I do, I've, I've purchased, I guess they called, some, called something else at that time, but DLC, Descent mercenary it was that was a good addition new ships new missions and so forth be the newest game eight plays ah no (laughs) (laughs) and as far as distros and all that kind of stuff i really don't have any type of distro that i'm using um but for me i just want to give uh ubuntu i i personally if i'm on an lts like ubuntu i will only roll from lts to lts all the myriad of flavors um one of them that i want to give a little attention to though not just ubuntu is ubuntu chillin i'm probably going to butcher that which is for those that are going to complain whatever deal with it It, (laughs) ubuntu chillin is the chinese developed edition of ubuntu but they use what they call ukui which is a kind of a mix of deepen and kde so it so it has like a lot of the slide out menus that deepen would have but it has a lot of the functionality, I guess, of KDE, I guess is the best way to explain it, like looks-wise. I think they do a lot of interesting stuff that doesn't get a lot of attention just because it's place of origin, which I think, quite frankly, is stupid because contributions can come from everywhere. Absolutely. So we'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators, Destination Linux. Network. For more information about the things that I do, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, uh, podcasts, and YouTube channel can all be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. See what I'm doing at Instagram at Linux and Lifts. As always, we thank you for joining and we'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extent. Until then, have a great week, everybody.